Welcome to the Ether. Today is Friday, September 16th, 2022. Today on the Ether, Decentralizing Crypto, hosted by Masari with Greg Asuri of Akash Network. Let's take a listen. All right. As people kind of pour in here, thank you for joining us on this Friday afternoon, sort of a, a midday happy hour of sorts. Um, we're joined by Sammy Kassab, research analyst at Masari and founder Greg Osuri of Acash. We'll start off with a quick disclaimer here before I throw it to our speakers. Um, All opinions expressed by our hosts and our guests are merely their own opinions. They do not reflect any endorsements or opinions of their companies. This discussion is meant for informational purposes only. You should not take their opinions as investment advice as you'll be solely responsible for your own investment. Hosts and guests may hold cryptocurrencies discussed in this Twitter spaces. Additionally, certain Masari employees are required to disclose their holdings, which is updated monthly and available at our website. Um, I will share a tweet, as always, with those disclosures. But without further ado, I'll kick it off to Sammy, and he'll he'll give us a short preface um, before Greg introduces himself. All right. Thanks for that, Doug. Hey, everyone. My name is Sammy. Like you said, I'm a research analyst here with Masari. I specialize in Web3 infrastructure, and we have with us today Greg Asuri. And I'm really excited to have Greg on for this spaces because personally, I feel like he's somebody who's actually focused on the long-term vision of the space and actually the original ethos of the space, namely decentralization. Uh, He's also a builder. He works on his own protocol. Uh, He also understands the state of the crypto ecosystem right now because he's not just siloed in his own project, but he also contributes to multiple different areas in the overall ecosystem. So, Greg, welcome. Thanks so much, Sammy, for the introduction, and super excited to be here. Yeah, so uh, it's been an exciting past few weeks. Um, Some bad events, some good events. We just had the merge, which was successful. But we also, you know, have had some negative regulatory events, specifically with um, the tornado cash incident. And so just to give um, a little bit of a primer on our discussion. So last month, we had the U.S. Treasury come out and they sanctioned tornado cash, the protocol. And for those who don't know, tornado cash is a currency mixer on Ethereum. And basically what that means is it's a transaction privacy tool. And for me, I saw two problems with this right away. One, it was that, you know, our right to privacy is at risk. But two, which is the topic of this discussion, is it really demonstrated the lack of decentralization in the crypto ecosystem. Because immediately what we saw is we saw um, RPC providers like Alchemy and Fura um, basically take down their RPC endpoints for Tornado Cash. 
We saw cloud hosting providers um, stop hosting the front ends. We saw their GitHub get taken down. Even some USDC got frozen in um, some, some contracts. And I'm sure I'm missing a few other actions that were taken, but it was, it was a real shock to the community. And so the question I have for you, Greg, is like post-sanctions, what was revealed? Like how decentralized is crypto in reality and what kind of implications come with that? All right. So I think it's fairly obvious post-sanctions that crypto is not a single monolithic layer. It's actually multiple layers, right? Broadly speaking, I think you can categorize crypto uh, as a three-layered uh, system where you have the access points. Uh, the access points and uh, are essentially how people access uh, these crypto products uh, through DNS, through um, front ends, basically that's tied to a DNS. And then you have the data layer. Uh, data layer is the layer where the data is stored and the rules of uh, writing to the data, the rules of where the data is stored uh, is essentially the decentralized part, right? So, you know, uh, uh, different blockchains offer different levels of security, Bitcoin being the biggest, most secure one, uh, and Apple, Ethereum being the most uh, secure application layer, right? Application data, application layer for data uh, storage. And then you have the base layer, which is the, the, the layer where you have the uh, databases, essentially, the, the, the state uh, is hosted and state is processed, right? So if you think about it, the, even though the middle, the data layer is decentralized, the access layer and uh, base layer is clearly not decentralized, right? And we saw that as a proof point with, it really began with, uh, you know, silent enforcement, I think, from, from the time when Uniswap Labs started, uh, you know, censoring or delisting certain tokens that the U.S. Treasury thinks should be delisted to all the way to the recent, you know, uh, OFAC ban, which basically said, you know, um, you know, you sh any U.S. person or U.S.-related uh, entity should not interact with uh, with tornado cash in the sense it should not um, do a transaction, right? They clarified later saying that it doesn't really matter. I mean, visiting the website is okay. Actually publishing the code is okay. Just not conducting a transaction, that's illegal. Uh, the problem with that approach is like, I mean, the intentions are very, very... Uh, good right i mean obviously there's a lot of evidence that tornado cash was used for illicit purposes uh, especially by north koreans to to launder money and there's a lot of lot of evidence that you know tornado cash was used for illicit purposes but treasury banning tornado cash is not going to prevent uh, tornado cash from being from from being used for illicit purposes so you know so the the the, the extent of the ban is questionable and it's obviously being challenged right now uh, really, what the impact of the ban really brings, right? It, it prevents Americans and you know American associated entities, may not to not to provide liquidity or whatnot. But there's a whole world out there that has nothing to do with the U.S., right? So my question is like by prevent by banning you know um, Americans from using Tornado, how are they solving North Koreans not using Tornado Cash, right? So and. So the answer is, you know, crickets, right? Nobody knows, right? So I think, like, if you really want to prevent uh, North Koreans from from using tornado cash, there are other effective ways that haven't been in, uh, that haven't even been explored nor discussed before the ban happened. 
you know so my concern really is that this band happened without a lot of thought uh even the approach i mean the even the developers uh american developers working on tenor cash were not approached by 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 the government uh, i know this because i know a few of them and so they just woke up one day and they you know, the thing was just on the ofac list right and uh and no arrests no detentions no communications at all with the, with the developers uh, i wish the government would have been a little more involved in like solving the problem but but again i can't speak to to us government um and uh and uh and so that's the base that's the front end and then the then the over compliance came right so yes government bank compliance is important over compliance is dangerous over compliance where you had you know essentially alchemies and infurers even the so called so called decentralized networks such as pocket you know all of them sort of like came and said we're not going to enable uh uh tornado cash hosting of any form even though you know you know, i think treasury came out recently and said it's okay i mean you're not really doing a transaction you're not really calling like a like a exchange right but it doesn't matter you can interact with the code and you're okay with it but still github went and banned tornado cash repositories even the government says it's not sort of illegal but they just over compliant and they even banned uh, uh the the users the the accounts of uh, of our contributors and the worst part is they're still charging them money you know so it's like these the effects of like uh in ofac in you know, ofac is you know it's is the highest level of like i think uh sanctions right that that anyone can put anything on uh the the effects are like uh, these uh you know complete disregard for for what the law is right over compliance and there is a breakdown of the centralized uh, the system on the whole now now i feel like if we have a more decentralized systems there would be a lot more real effort in actually preventing bad actors instead of you know ins- instead of what we have right now which is a pseudo decentralized system in the sense the access points are not decentralized even though the core system is decentralized and it's easy for government to be like hey, use a web 2 tools web 2 mechanisms to ban but not in don't but not really a web 3 mechanism right like um so um so my take is like we got to do better um in decentralizing access points and uh um be web 2 or web 1 kind of solve this like you know if you really look at internet as sort of like this decentralized system with original intent of avoiding uh single points of failure uh, you had companies like um companies like AOL and companies that actually went ahead and like created these choke points but the world came around the market came around and 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 rejected those choke points and it went again back to decentralization now we are seeing the opposite where you have heavy concentration of compute power uh, by 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 few providers right so there's this constant battle i feel like the internet uh, uh, goes through over the, over its uh, series of phases and web3 what we are seeing is not something new this happened before and uh, and uh, and i think the best solution is not the government intervention is really the in- industry uh self correcting and uh, it is starting to happen like on on the same side like you had on one hand you had US treasury that banned you know uh, uh Tornado cash which is a privacy protocol on the other hand we saw US uh US military DOD embrace secret network and akash for enhancing their privacy 
right? So like, uh, and this is within 30 days of the ban, right? So you, it's very clear that someone like U.S. military, which really cares about protecting their privacy, and, they, and their use case was uh, essentially developing a solution where they can send secure documents between units not using, without using mail uh, and maintaining sovereignty uh, for the privacy they have. Very clear use case on how to enhance the privacy. They, they, you know, they did. They actually researched and worked on it, and and uh, they found u- use for it, right? So, I guess we are so sort of like uh, we, we're seeing the government embrace uh, crypto in different ways, and de- depending on who you talk to, uh, I think military has a has an amazing viewpoint as to how how they view view Web three and whatnot. So, yeah, <clears throat> and I think a key point of what you said as well was that. When these tornado cash sanctions were put into place, we also saw some decentralized protocols. I'm putting decentralized in in quotes. Take action as well, um, and that's par- partly because there were some sing- uh, like single points of failure in there, some centralized points of failure. But it really got me thinking. Assuming that these protocols were completely decentralized with no single point of failure, isn't there still like the project or dev team that you know government entities can go after because i think people have this vision in crypto where oh if we completely decentralize you know you can do whatever you want and a little bit of like an anarchist view you know but um so basically i think what you're saying is like there needs to be there will be regulations but they need to be balanced is that kind of what you're getting at so there is law and there is sovereignty, right? And like decentralization doesn't mean you can do whatever the hell you want. Decentralization means you have a lot of control on what you do. And the, the control, what you do with the control is up to you, right? So, I mean, like anything you can use for good things or bad things. Like if you use for bad things, I think uh, uh, decentralized systems are, are way better than centralized systems to be able to track down, right? Like I'll give you an example with Akash Network itself, right? We, like, a big problem that keeps me up at night is like, okay, Akash is permissionless system, anybody can deploy anything on it. What happens if something really bad gets deployed? Like something like, you know, uh, uh, child pornography or something, right? Like, for that, I think, like, ultimately providers on Akash Network are, are responsible for the content they serve and they should be able to moderate like any other provider, right? And, we'll, and there are a lot of moderation tools that are in play. <clears throat> And this is a joint effort, I guess, <clears throat> a lot of the decentralized UGC platforms, right, user-generated content platforms, uh, should, uh, uh, you know, sh- should make it easy for, for their users to, to use. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, a decentralized systems doesn't mean you got to break the law. I mean, it actually, it, it's a very powerful tool for law enforcement to, to trace you back, right? So I think like because everything is on online, right? Like so, in fact, uh, we saw people like TRM Labs or people like you know Channel Analysis make a very strong case on how they were able to help law enforcement a lot better than than a, a closed centralized system. Um, yeah, that that's really where where my stance is on like censorship resistance versus like compliance, right? Like, but again, what what is law? Law is different uh, based on jurisdiction. Like uh, something like you know, child pornography is universally shunned, right? Obviously, every country uh, in the world, I don't think there's a single country that, that would encourage people to do that, right? And if you are hosting that, you should go to jail. 
but other you know policies depends on the country right so it's you got to uh, you got to comply with with whatever jurisdiction that you got to comply with and uh, akash network ultimately is an ip address right that hosts a piece of content the ip address is still ipv4 or ipv6 that has some association in the in in the centralized database we have not gotten to a truly decentralized ip uh, uh, based networking uh, system it's still tcp ip underneath the hood right so as long as you connect to tcp ip i think uh, uh, you know uh, it's pretty easily traceable and i'm pretty sure any other technologies uh, that would be high level abstraction would still trace you back right so yeah completely agree with you on that i, I like how you how you phrased that um kind of moving the conversation now towards a little bit of a a little bit on the node centralization. So in some of my research, I've seen that I've, I've dug into the top two ecosystems being Ethereum and Solana. And what I've seen is that their node infrastructure uh, are largely hosted on like a handful of big cloud providers. And so kind of running through some data that I collected about a month ago, like ETH nodes were on... Or, the percent of ETH, ETH hosted nodes, you had 50% on AWS, 15% on Hetzner, 4% on OVH. And then looking at Solana, you know, you had 42% on Hetzner, 26% OVH, 3% uh, on AWS. And I think sometime around last month, we also saw Hetzner come out and basically make a statement saying that any crypto-related services or apps could not run on their cloud and it violated their terms of service. And so like, there's obviously risks here. How, how do we move forward? Right, the risk here, I mean, so the cloud providers, first of all, why crypto uh, node, uh, you, know, um, you know, runners or, or miners prefer cloud providers is because they're easy, right? They're easy to get started, they're very convenient. I mean, they've matured over time. They've gotten really good, right? They scale well. They've, uh, you know, they, they've, you know, they've come along a lot, right? Um, and they're like, manageable when it comes to cost. They're not the least, uh, most cost-efficient option, but they're manageable if you can sort of like make a case for uh, productivity versus cost, right? Especially in a bull market where everybody's making a lot of money, you know, you don't really care about like the cost, right? Things are changing quite a lot now. Um, but the problem is reliance on a single provider. So it's very, very rare you will see node run node hosting companies use multiple providers, right? Or and have any sort of failover between these providers. So disaster recovery becomes a huge problem if you rely on a single host, right? And node designs by design, you they do not actually encourage multi-regional uh, deployments because there's always this uh, risk of like double signing, yada, yada, yada. There's inherently a failure in the node design for the most uh, blockchains. I know this for sure in Cosmos nodes that prevent you from a multi, uh, you know, multi, uh, um, multi-regional deployment, right? And I think that's that's the bigger risk. Like, there's an argument to be made. Like, hey, you know, you know, well, fifty percent of nodes, cloud hosts, nodes run on Amazon. If Amazon shuts down, uh, and, uh, Ethereum, you can all move to like some other cloud, right? 
yeah, in theory, it's possible. In practical practicality, you're going to see a disruption. There's going to be a several day, if not weeks, levels of disruption with degraded services. The real question you should be asking is: Is that some? Is that the future we want? A disrupted blockchain, or like Lido uh, has about fifty percent of uh, of node power, right? It's a pool granted, but I guarantee you they're hosting probably on a single provider, right? I haven't seen anything to indicate they have, uh, at least it's not public, uh, I don't know the internals, but it's not public that there there is a multi-cloud disaster recovery strategy, right? So what, like, we, I think the big risk is, well, you have like disaster recovery and just like uh, fall tolerance and failover. And second risk is cost, right? Like. The, if decentralization is expensive, it's prohibitive. And cloud is getting worse. And this is an article, beautiful article by, by uh, Anderson Horowitz recently called The Paradox of Cloud Cause a Trillion Dollar Paradox or something. And they, uh, they've studied several companies uh, that they are part of the board. And turns out 50% of every dollar you and I spend on online services like Asana, like Netflix, like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Notion or whatever goes to Amazon or, 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 or Google. 50%. The Amazon tax. The Amazon tax. It's invisible tax that we all have. And guess who pays the bill? I mean, we end up paying because uh, the costs and, and, and savings come down to the, come down to the user. And, and that's one uh, data point. Another data point is that is the death of data centers, right? So be, before in 2018, you had about 8.4 million data centers. Now you have about 7.1 million data centers. So the and and the hyperscalers are getting a lot more, a uh, lot bigger because there's really really very very little options to get cloud-like capability on data centers, right? So you can either have a data center or you can have a cloud. You can't use your data center capacity as a cloud provider. That's that's a big challenge, right? The convenience is a challenge, not the compute. But even though there are 7.1 million data centers, why do we prefer the Amazon 16? Why? Because Amazon just has a better way to deploy tools, right? So, so what's the main difference there, if you, if you don't mind breaking that down between like the data centers and and the large clouds? Like, Correct. So when you have a data center, uh, like let's say Colo, right? So for, for deploying a box in a Colo, co-located data center is number one, you go to the data center and you, you know, strike a deal. You say that, hey, I want to put uh, a rack of uh, servers in your cluster and I'm going to go purchase the servers from Dell or wherever you want to you know, purchase, configure them, send it to your, to your actual physical data center and purchase all the disks and, you know, lease the space in your, in your, in your, in your physical, like, uh, data center and uh, have you plug in my computers and, you know, and manage them for me, change the disks when they need to. And, you know, when they're, they're you know, make sure there's electricity, make sure there's like you know, a, a uh, enterprise grade, like uh, internet, yada, 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 right? And I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars per month. So to acquire a box, uh, a server using this this column method takes about anywhere from one month to three months, right? So it's very very expensive. It's very time consuming, but the the advantage is it's a lot of capex and there's very little opex, right? So you own the box. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. So it's very cheap to operate once you have it. 
but to acquire them is very hard. And then if you don't have enough demand, you end up paying the box, right? So there is this like acquisition problem and then there is retention um, uh, sustainability problem, right? So, um, so and that's why people prefer versus a cloud provider where you basically pay by the hour. There's no acquisition problem. There is no uh, maintenance of the box. And if you don't like the box, you switch to another configuration in a matter of minutes. And you pay a premium for that, the cloud premium. Right? So it's great if you want to get started and if, you wanna, if you're not sure what you need and if you want to get quickly, uh, if you want to go to market quickly, you use, your, uh, use a cloud provider at a premium. But if you want something permanent, like a blockchain, you know, you shouldn't be using because a three-month time in a blockchain is worth it because you have complete control over costs and complete control over, over privacy and yada, yada, yada. So what Akash comes into play and does, I think, um, is really enables you to have your own data center while that gives you sovereignty and, and control uh, and, uh, you know, uh, offer, uh, sell any unused capacity you have in the data center to people that want to use it or tap into a larger pool when you want to scale, right? So I think, like, the danger of, like, um, you know, using a single provider and, you know, is basically like, and you have outages, right? And uh, in fact, I didn't realize Wikipedia has a dedicated page for Amazon outages. And the last outage was data loss outage, right? Even though Amazon is great and probably the best solution out there, the, um, the, uh, the problem is this heavy concentration of compute power no matter, leads to outages all the time. It's just the nature of the beast. It's very, very, very hard to scale, to manage scale at Amazon level, right? So you're going to have someone that's going to hot finger a piece of code that shouldn't be there, causing out. But no matter how many processes you have, you're going to have faults, right? And the scary part of a running crypto infrastructure on, uh, on a centralized provider is like these outages will lead to disruption. Uh, in some cases, the outages, I mean, in some cases you have outright bans by someone like Hetzner that basically said, if you deploy anything in crypto, you got to go out. But that is policy driven by some some suit that has no idea sitting in a boardroom somewhere, right? Like, like you have that censorship level attack, you have like outage level attack. Um, and then uh, essentially uh, uh, you have supply chain attacks, right? Like supply chain attacks in the sense like, you really have no idea what you're getting in terms of box. There's no auditing. There's no external person giving you. Uh, there's no third person looking at is this box kosher or not. There's there's really no way to know what Hetzner box you're deploying on, who has access to the box, and they tell you, you know, you know it's safe or whatnot, but it's no way to know, right? So there's this just like obscure obfuscation uh, attack, right, that can incur while running on the centralized provider. So uh, the question you should be asking is: This a future you want uh, for crypto, or you is there a better one? Uh, can we work as an industry together? Yeah, and, and you already highlighted kind of the main value proposition that I see with Akash, which is that multi-cloud capability, right? So, like, and just the simplicity that comes along with that. You can just choose multiple providers when you're kind of like onboarding onto one of them, and that just increases, you know, the resiliency. Um, and back to, back to what you said about like if any data is lost, you still have like a backup somewhere else. Um, and so, is Akash is currently hosting a lot of nodes right now, right? Could you like are they also hosting like 
Like, are you able to host like an Ethereum validator on Akash at, at this time, or is that something that's still in development? No, you totally can. I mean, it's, uh, it's I think we're gonna show a demo very soon. Um, it's capabilities wise, we have uh, uh, for a little background. We we launched Akash platform about a year ago. Uh, when we launched, it was ephemeral only in the sense you 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 any data you store on Akash will uh, only live. Uh, during the life cycle of the deployment or the lease. So once the lease ends, your data goes away. Or like if there is a restart, you know, there was no like network storage that, so it takes forever to like sync back. Now we have network storage, which makes it ideal for a lot of nodes because nodes have a lot of uh, huge, you know, state files, right? Ethereum alone has 300 gigabyte state file, I believe. Uh, 300 gigabyte state file, which is humongous if you think about it, right? If you have to like, uh sync every time you have a restart with network storage or persistent storage you can sync once and you're good to go and we're also going to optimize for local snapshots within akash network itself so uh downloading a, a ledger uh, will not be an extraneous process will be very very quick probably way better than amazon because they're not verticalizing right and we are verticalizing very soon um and a big a uh, feature that was missing was dedicated IP addresses. Uh, this is especially important for protocols that have fixed port uh, ranges for you know service discovery and whatnot, like Solana. So, and uh, with Akash, uh, you, so far you were getting dynamic ports because IP address space was being shared between deployments. Now we have IP address leasing. It's currently in testing. It should go into production after mainnet, uh, after Masari mainnet. Um, in a few weeks. So, but with that, I mean, you can start testing in, in testnets right now. It works really well. Uh, you can get dedicated IP addresses, uh, and there's a whole process for providers to be able to get the ASN blocks. And I learned a lot about IP addresses in the last few weeks. Uh, and uh, so, the providers do the heavy work of like uh, getting you a block of IPs, and you can choose an IP and have dedicated ports. This enables a lot more nodes, like especially like uh, like uh, my favorite uh, uh, handshake nodes, right? Handshake is essentially DNS. Then in port fifty three, which is a privileged port. And now with Akash, you can you couldn't get that before, but now with IP address leasing, you can actually have a port fifty three. And Solana runs on port eight thousand eighty one hundred uh, and plus one or minus. Port range. Now you can have Solana running on a cache, uh, uh, and ETH will run exactly like the way you would run on a centralized infrastructure, right? So the node hosting is coming with a bang. I think IP addresses will will complete the the solution we needed, uh, uh, and uh, you, sh you know, and GPUs are, are next. So if you have any GPU style uh, proof of work style workloads, I think that's going to be supported as well very very soon. So we'll have a complete node hosting solution. Uh, um, you know like a full full-fledged node hosting solution and the next would be just user interfaces right like uh and we want to develop non-custodial user interfaces and it's very very critical uh to access these uh these node hosting platforms and we have a little surprise at masari mainnet but ahead of uh, product uh anil uh who by the way is uh it's going to blow you away with with the demo uh he came from uh hashicore hashicore for, for those of you don't know is a leader in uh, infrastructure. I mean, they they created this tool called Terraform, which which a lot of people use. Um, Vault and uh, you know and and like so he was actually uh, the leading Terraform effort. So he's a very 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 in tune when it comes to like developer experiences. So we'll be showcasing a, a, a tool uh, during Masari uh, 
a talk, uh, Anil's Masari talk. So, and I think you'll you'll get an idea as to where the state of uh, uh, node hosting is, and you know, the non-custodial node hosting is, and 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 I think you'll you're gonna like it. That's awesome. <clears throat> I'm definitely excited for that, and it's it's great to hear all these developments on Akash, like you were saying about persistent storage. So I feel like it couldn't have come at a better time as we're seeing these um, regulations and sanctions and just mainly this like centralization and all these like large cloud providers continue to grow and people starting to ask themselves like, okay, what's an alternative here? What, what can we use? And I feel like Akash is perfectly positioned here to, you know, offer a alternative solution or an alternative, um, alternative method. And one thing that you kind of mentioned earlier, too, is that like during the bull market, it's kind of just like a theory of mine, but I feel like most projects, you know, they were just trying to, um, they were just trying to build as fast as they could, right? So like yeah. that kind of led them to just go like the centralization route. Let's be honest, most people were focused on just like number go up, just get this thing launched as fast as possible. And now that we're in this bear market, where, you know, validator earnings, for example, might have gone down and uh, you're still stuck with potentially a high price or a high cost for at these cloud providers. Now there may there's people probably rethinking like, OK, is there a cheaper alternative here? And to them, I would say, go check out Akash, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, so I guess to kind of bring this full circle back to what we started talking about. Um, so if you had to like kind of prioritize where the industry should start to decentralize first, like, would you say it's like the DNS layer, like RPC endpoints, is it storage, is it front ends? Um, what, what should the industry be focusing on first? Yeah, I think it's the access layer, right? Like, so, yes. I mean, uh, base layer is, is uh, uh, you know, I think is base layer is, is developer facing access layer is consumer facing right so so base layer you have a lot more control i think using platforms like cash and pocket when they're going to like decentralize i think they have v1 working which is a decentralized version you have several other decentralized players um, that are actually uh, getting good right um there's another layer that i haven't touched it's called the supply chain layer i'll, I'll get into that in a bit um, I think uh, because supply chain layer touches both, I wouldn't call it a layer, I think it's more of like a vertical, right? It touches all three systems, all three layers, right? The supply chain decentralization. Um, but I think uh, base layer uh, is, is getting there good, but not too much work is going on in the access layer. There is a, a proposal that we're, uh, we're there's, there's an update for on Akash on how to decentralize the access layer. Uh, like really decentralized, not just do IPFS hosting because IPFS is great or to host like static applications, but very very limited. Right, so you can't really do um, uh, server side rendering. For example, you have a React app, right? So without server side rendering, you're going to just create like very uh, funky applications that are not good for consumers, right? So you don't have middleware support. You don't have a lot of like uh, uh, you know cloud level support that enhances user experience so so you need that you need to solve that um and uh, so i think we're going to see so what we're working on akash is you is, is something called interchain accounts so interchain accounts allows for 
different blockchains to call Akash in a fully fully on-chain, right? Not using off-chain. So essentially, a Juno network, smart contract on Juno network, which is written in Cosmwasm, can own a deployment on Akash. So that means you can see smart contracts owning deployments on Akash. That means DAOs can now own deployments on Akash without a human involved. So uh, now DAOs can do uh, front ends, right? Or they can host a node. If there's a DAO for node host, like a validator DAO can directly host uh, on Akash. And now the human attack vector is eliminated, right? So if you had to take it down, you had to take down the smart contract. That means if you have a voting mechanism to take down, depending on how your DAO is structured, you have a voting mechanism to, to, to take down the smart contract or the deployment, you can use that. Or if you design your smart contract in a way it's immutable, that means you know a lot of good smart contracts. I think developers once they deploy them, throw away the keys, right? Uh, the deployment keys. You have an immutable stop smart contract. The deployment becomes immutable, right? So I think stuff like that is going to push the boundaries of what censorship is going to look like. And if you combine something like that with Handshake, where you have discovery level layer decentralization, which is a huge problem, you can still have, you know, DNS as attack vector, right? You saw that with GoDaddy being hacked. We saw that a lot of these DeFi protocols would use GoDaddy DNS, and there would be like a attack every now and then where they would, you know, point, they would change the DNS using clever, you know, social uh, engineering techniques to, to change the DNS, and that's a huge attack vector. So removing this, uh, moving to handshake uh, now can give you this immutability and now I'll add that to the supply chain in the sense like the supply chain is like where the code gets produced, like GitHub, to the way, to where, to all the way to where the code gets uh, published or deployed. We need to have a verifiable, composable supply chain for, for crypto, right? So in if you talk to anybody that maintains a large repository, they will tell you the problems with GitHub. GitHub is not optimal for large open source projects. Even Linus Torvalds hates GitHub because he just doesn't, even though he created Git to be a decentralized system, and he personally hates the pull request mechanism of GitHub. So GitHub was not designed, GitHub is a centralized version of Git, essentially. Git is great, Git is decentralized. GitHub made Git easy to use, right? So. Uh, GitHub is a SaaS platform, for, for lack of a better word. So there's a lot of amazing things you can do with Git itself. There are a few projects, uh, Gitopia, uh, Radical, a few others that are decentralizing Git in itself and bringing Git back to the original roots uh, by adding decentralized collaborative uh, functionality. And you can imagine a code contributor that's anonymous or you know, is private can contribute on, 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 on Gitopia or uh, you know, on Radical and have that code base automatically built and deployed to either IPFS or Arweave or, or Akash, depending on different assets. If you want immutable deployments, permanent deployments, Arweave is a great option. And um, you know, have that running on Akash by a smart contract, so you have unstoppable deployments now, tied to a handshake domain uh, for discovery. And as long as you're using handshake, you can access this, this, this website, uh, and have a fully verifiable supply chain end to end. That way, you can have a coin gecko that will basically show the smart contract saying that, hey, if this is a smart contract, you know, it's verifiable, it's it's a real front end, it's not a fake front end, you don't have civil attacks. And something like Brave can even do further verification 
because all that is on blockchain, right? And that is the level of supply chain decentralization that we need in order to like uh, you know remove our reliance on 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 on, on centralized entities. And big big attack vectors here are like DNS level, uh, source control level, deployment level. There are so many different levels that uh, uh, so many different attack vectors before it gets to uh, to decentralizing access layer that we need to solve. And uh, things are things are moving along pretty good, right? I mean, the radical folks and Gitopia folks and so on, some other get decentralization protocol. They're all moving very fast. Um, they're all trying to get this problem solved. I think within a year or two years time, you're going to see a beautiful, interoperable, different protocols working with each other, fully verifiable, fully on chain, like world right uh and uh that's the world I, I i can't wait to to experience yeah that was going to be what i was going to ask is like how long until we see some of these protocols like able to use this fully decentralized supply chain i, I love that that term supply chain i was kind of thinking of it more as like a, a like a tech stack but yeah at the end of the day it is it is like a supply chain but so you're hoping like a year, two years out, you know, these protocols will be mature enough to where we can kind of see a fully decentralized um, tech stack or supply chain, if you want to call it. Yeah, that. in fact, so interchain accounts will go into production. Interchain accounts are currently in uh, in testnet for Akash. They go into production with mainnet four. That's post Masari mainnet. <laughs> Not to confuse mainnet four mainnet, but anyway, yeah. so we have Akash mainnet four that's releasing in three weeks uh, after Masari mainnet. And that'll have interchain accounts. That means you'll start interoperability. Like an account on Juno network, a smart contract essentially, which is an account, can own a deployment on Akash. We're also working with Secret. Secret is the, the other project DOD used. So imagine secret deployments. You can have a secret smart contract own a deployment on Akash, right? fully private deployments, right? And that's the level of sort of like, Inter- that's the level of interoperability interchain accounts is going to bring. Um, and I think with interchain s- security coming to Atom, it's going to take another net level because now Atom Hub users can deploy directly on Akash that is not a app chain. So it can, you can essentially have a Ethereum smart contract ultimately deploy onto Akash, right? And with MOS, uh, you know, basically... With EVM support, now you can see EVM-based smart contracts deployed on Akash. So I think uh, the interoperability is just going to make deployment on Akash take it to the next level. Now, we have all chains that can effectively deploy on Akash without having an Akash account, right? You can do, uh, you know, there are online swap mechanisms that we're working on with whatever uh, tokens that, you know, as long as there's a liquidity uh, that can swap from one token to another token on chain, you can essentially have that be part of your you know, your, your smart contract to deploy on Akash. So it's starting to happen. Um, it's not like a year from, it's literally like three weeks, right? Like we, we will have this capability and integrations will take a few more few more months. Uh, but I think in the next six months, we're going to see a cross-chain uh, DAO-owned deployment on Akash, right? Um, and uh, DAOs are amazing because now you can even think of like profit sharing. Like if you're a node operator, right? Like you can, you can have a DAO that operates a node completely controlled by, uh, you know, by the smart contract, and and the proceeds can go back to back to people fully on chain, fully verifiable, right? I think you're going to be like you're going to see quite a lot of these kind of like profit sharing, uh, decentralized, uh, fully on chain applications uh, using a lot of compute power, uh, you know, arbitrary compute power on Akash, 
to do amazing things. Um, and DAO is deeply integrated. DAO is a DAO uh, framework on on Juno. There are over four thousand DAOs. And they're deeply integrating Akash right now with interchain accounts. So it's really exciting. Yeah, um, I'm beyond excited based off what you just said. I think everybody here is excited on that future interoperability. I think you made a great case um, for DAOs to use Akash. It almost seems like a no-brainer. I think that's a perfect place to kind of wrap it up. So I just want to say thank you very much for joining, uh, joining us today, Greg. You provided a lot of great insight and looking forward to seeing you at Mainnet. Yeah, I'll be on mainnet, uh, I think, on day two of this meeting. So really excited to see everybody there. Uh, we've got, I mean, I'm pretty sure Ryan is a, a big uh, regulatory, hmm. uh, you know, you know, single issue voter. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to miss it. Yeah. But yeah, thanks again. I'm going to hand it back to Doug right now to uh, close us out. Awesome, gentlemen. Uh, Greg, thank you for joining us. Sammy, thank you for moderating um, this conversation. Uh, I think Sammy kicked it off well in the beginning, kind of reframing um, the focus that was put back on to infrastructure and decentralizing post-tornado cash sanctions. Uh, as Greg said, he will be speaking at Mainnet on the 22nd. Uh, you can catch him 340 p.m. Eastern time that'll be on the operating advice stage uh, talking about main, mainstream firms plugging into crypto. And you can also catch Sammy. He'll be moderating uh, a couple panels and then also speaking on infrastructure, Filecoin specifically on Friday for a sponsor session at 1240 p.m. Eastern time. So gentlemen, thank you again. If you haven't bought your tickets, mainnet.events and a little piece uh, to give back post-merge, a little post-merge giving, 300 off mainnet. Get your tickets now. We're literally days away. Um, and hopefully this was a, a nice primer, a nice preface for you guys to to get you excited and get a little FOMO going before the big event. But again, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks so much, guys. It was fun. Thanks. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Masari hosting a space about decentralizing crypto with Greg Asuri of Akash Network. Recorded on Friday, September 16th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. They say rapping is the gateway, bringing home great pain. Checking that replay, sing along and we say nobody gives a fuck around my way. I make about three bucks for every thousand plays, so add it up and do the math on that. Financially speaking, why the fuck would anybody want to rap? But in this reality, the money comes from doing shows. But then where's the money go when you can't do the shows? I guess you could rap on Cameo. I've been asking all my friends if I can rap on the patio. Six feet, motherfucker, step the fuck back. Doing a little magic pulling rabbits out the rucksack not everybody's always in it for the money looking like another crooked sunday and i'm working monday so you know i ain't stressing left debate and great methods amazed to play inception the base stay blessed see even with these huge sums of overall royalties huge sums of money that go to the record label per playback can seem insultingly small many rights holders are making around three quarters of a cent each time rent listens to one of their tracks leaving only some portion of that for the actual to turn a profit, their future will always be in question. But for now, in
investors see enough potential to continue to fund pennies, 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 Another day, another lesson, living in the eighth dimension, might be worth a little mention, living in the Great Depression, got a real regal feel, reeling in another sucker fish, out to make a deal, just to make a motherfucker wish, aw shit, now you only got two left, you know what I wish, we didn't have any loose ends, you know what I miss, listening to excuses, now we're on the fence, like we forgot how to choose, that's what happens when people don't know what's true, in the dark eating bullshit up like a mushroom, in the lunchroom just trying to laugh it off, meanwhile foaming at the mouth like a rabbit dog, like a fake mate and call at the zoo, it's looking like the view is getting disappointed too, I'm working on the new shit, trying to produce it, it's what I'm willing to go through when I'm making my music.